This is the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler warning for the Knights of the Old Republic series, Star Wars, The Old Republic, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. Hello there, everyone. Today, we have an awesome podcast lined up for you today. Today, we are joined by the one and only Leva Swotor. So, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you've been someone that we, we've been trying to figure out, like, the best uh, episode to, to feature you on. And in the future, when we kind of dip our toes more into the Swotor side of things, like... You'll probably be a, a big uh, help for us, and we love watching your uh, videos and interviews on on the YouTubes. You know, so thank you. <laughs> so, how did you discover Star Wars? Well, it's a it's a story that I've told many times by now, but um, I have been a Star Wars fan since the womb. My mom watched a lot of Star Wars when she was pregnant with me. Um, and by the time I was able to crawl, I would be going to the TV whenever I could hear blasters and lightsabers. So I'm indoctrinated to be a Star Wars fan. Huh. Yeah, that that's a good way uh, to discover <laughs> it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah. And then um, did you discover uh, KOTOR or SWOTOR uh, first? Uh, KOTOR. Um I am old enough to have been around when <laughs> that came out. <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, and I always was very impressed uh, with the with the Spotor trailers. I remember when the first uh, trailer came out. Like I want to say it was like in two thousand ten. Yeah, approximately. Wow, mm-hmm. I feel old, but um, <laughs> we would watch it like. I was in a creative writing class and like on Friday we would have inspiration Fridays and like sometimes the teacher would roll on you, you know, like according to what uh, row you were in or um, like what seat in the row you were in and uh, they're like, what's something, I can't remember, like what's something epic that you're excited for? And I was like, ooh, like, am I brave enough to, like, say, like, we should watch this this trailer, you know? Because like, it was just such a good one. Like, you had Darth Malgus and, uh, is it Venzalo, I think? like Venzalo, the, yes. Yeah, yeah, Fighting in the Deceived trailer. And I was like, yes. it, it was just a really good trailer. They, uh... I believe it was made by the guy who directed Deadpool. So it's like action meets Star Wars. And hmm. I would love to see the, the movies kind of incorporate that. But um, what do you love like about the KOTOR and SWOTOR uh, side of the Star Wars tree? Well, for me, it's a lot to do with the fact that it is in the Old Republic era. It's a time long before the movies it was mystical it was more primitive at the same time as it's not it was a time of conflict and mystery and it's just in a grander scale than it is in the movies yeah 
And it just caught me instantly, this of playing the protagonist in the way you do. And, you know, Bioware are just amazing at making stories in general. So they told a, a very intriguing story from the beginning. Yeah, so uh, you said you have been playing SWOTOR, like, for about, like, ten years. Um, yeah. What What makes, like... Why should we have already been playing SWOTOR for 10 years? Like, can you pitch it to us, like, what we're missing out on? Well, for me, it is without a doubt the fact that you can create your own story as a Jedi, a bounty hunter, um, an Imperial agent of, you know, 007 in Star Wars. You have so many different aspects within the Star Wars universe that you can play in SWOTOR. Um, as well as it does, of course, continue on with the story of KOTOR, but way longer into the future. So it's not a direct link. It's just, um, it's part of the story, but so far away that it's not directly meshed together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like... That's what I like about the Old Republic, and I think it would be kind of even more pronounced in, in SWOTOR, is, like, it's the Star Wars universe, but it's, like, a different point in the history. You don't have to always, like, point everything to the Skywalker family, because mm -hmm. uh, you have the Shan clan, you know, so... Yes, a very, very strong bloodline. Yeah. And, I don't know, it would be really cool to, to kind of see more... Uh, High Republic, Old Republic, different time periods represented uh, rather than kind of like, I don't know, kind of connecting everything to like the original trilogy in, in my view. But um, so you have a, a YouTube channel. Can you tell us uh, about what you do? Well, I, I actually have a little bit of everything. <laughs> I, I stream on Twitch. I have a YouTube, social media, all of it. Um, it is centered around SWOTOR, uh, about being helpful, like helpful guides for people, useful information and um, deep dye lore, which I am working very thoroughly on at the moment. Awesome. Ah, oh, yeah. I, I've been really impressed with your stuff and I... I recently saw an interview you did uh, with an employee from BioWare, uh, can you tell our viewers more about that interview? Yeah, that was with uh, Caitlin, who uh, who had just um, got the promotion of writer at uh, the Bioware in Austin. Uh, she made the story for the last update that's called Dark Descent, which takes you back to the Dantooine Enclave, which is, of course, in ruins. Um, I had the privilege of interviewing her, a uh, very big fan of her of her writing and um you can feel she is a fan of Kotor as well she honored the memories of the previous two games and made sure a lot of details was implemented into the new story of of how the environment was and the secrets and and maybe even why we went there but that is a story that hasn't been told fully yet <laughs> yeah and uh, was that your first interview you you did on your channel? Yes, very yeah, exciting. You, you did a very you, yeah. You you knocked it out of the park. Like I I wish that uh, 
if you go back and listen, actually don't listen to episode 13, like our, our first interview, <laughs> like uh, technological uh, issues abound there. But yeah, you, you knocked it out of the park and I learned a lot and it was a great interview that you did with Caitlin. And thank you. Uh, yeah, it was just really cool. And, and I, I, I was able to kind of see through your channel uh, like all the details uh, that were incorporated from the Dantooine levels in KOTOR 1 and 2. So it was mm -hmm. it was really cool to, to learn that. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it looks like a real treasure trove of videos for anyone who's kind of looking to get into SWOTOR or to explore it, you know, a little bit beyond what you might uh, just think about getting into. So yeah, definitely some good stuff there for people to check out. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I guess there's no better transition from Dantooine to the Starforge. So uh, I guess like we could take a quick break and just dive into to all things Starforge. In order to get to the SWOTOR universe, first we have to deal with the Starforge, right? And Knights of the Old Republic. So uh, just to bring everyone up to speed, um, if you've been following along with us, you know, Cassie and I have been doing kind of this uh, film adaptation, uh, you know, kind of proposal thing, how we would envision kind of a Knights of the Old Republic movie going. Uh, so just to bring everyone up to where we're at right now. So we had Act 1, uh, you know, protagonist Revan, who wakes up on the Endar Spire. Make our way down to a Terrace, get Bastila into the party, uh, end up going to uh, Dantooine, uh, getting some uh, Jedi training, and uh, finish the first film on Kashyyyk. And then the second film, uh, we begin our journey in Tatooine, uh, and we stop along the way to Manon before eventually getting to the Leviathan, where uh, you know the reveal happens. We find out that Revan is Revan. Uh, Bastila gets separated from the the party. The you know, whole crew is uh, tossed upside down in this uh, turmoil, kind of a darker second act. And then act three, which is where we're at right now. So uh, this film starts on Korriban, you know, kind of reconnecting with Revan's, uh, you know, kind of Sith past uh, before, you know, making our way towards the Star Forge. Uh, have to make a little detour in Lehan uh, due to some uh, uh, force fields going on. But uh, we have an encounter with Bastila there uh, before eventually having to you know, chase her up to the Starforge, which is the culmination kind of of these three films. This is where everything uh, happens that's, you know, going to happen. We've been leading up to this point for quite a while now. So what are some of our goals on the Starforge? So uh, the big ones uh, for us in this film are that we need to, uh, we need to redeem Bastila. We need to find her. We need to get her back, back on our side, back on the light side, back on the Jedi side. We need to defeat Darth Malak. Uh, he's, you know, been the antagonist through this whole thing. So we need to have a confrontation with him, uh, maybe uh, offer him redemption and uh, see if he's willing to take it or not. And then we need to destroy the Star Forge because it's bad news all around. So I guess uh, I'll start with you, Aleva. If you were making a film about the Star Forge, uh, what 
what do you think that it looks like? Do you um, have anything in mind on on what you think it would look like in in like a movie world? Um, my thought is that I want it to be in a grand scale, in the same way as you know you approach the Death Star the first time with Obi Wan aboard, and he's just like, "That's no moon." Mm-hmm. It it has to has that ominous feel to it as you approach it which i think that the game already does quite well if you're seeing it sucking up the energy from the nearby sun and you see the unlike fleet that is just merging out from the station and you have no idea how in the world it could be that big that mm-hmm. is the most important in my opinion is is that you get the grand scale of it of of how impossible this fight is going to feel yeah yeah and it's you know because we've we've probably seen it on our approach to lehan and you can uh, most likely see it kind of hanging in the air but yeah just just this huge grand scale and at least in playing the game to me it looks like it's probably even you know at least as big as the death star but it has kind of this unique kind of like six-sided pyramid triangle uh kind of shape so uh, it's going to look a little bit uh, differently, for sure. Uh, what about uh, you, Cassia? Do you have any uh, kind of ideas about, you know, what the outside of uh, the Star Forge is going to look like? I kind of play around uh, with this idea in my head, like, making it not, like, silver, just so it, like, it doesn't automatically bring to mind comparisons of, like, the Death Star or Star Killer base, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. it's just kind of a different kind of, like, you know, and like thinking about Lego sets, you know, maybe it could be like bronze or gold plated or like metallic, you know, like mm-hmm. just kind of like a different look, you know, and in my in my mind, like maybe you see like the silhouette of the Star Forge earlier on in the movie, but like uh, you would see the full Star Forge in all of its glory, like kind of in the lead up to this battle and mm-hmm. yeah that's that's what i think so yeah i think um that it's going to look really uh really cool um you know as Aleva said it's kind of sucking up the energy from the sun so the way that i see it kind of um on approach uh, you have maybe it's kind of a similar shade as the death star uh kind of that gray or kind of silver but i think it would be interesting um, since it's sucking up the power of the sun, if maybe it looked like a, you know, like an iron that's getting pulled from a fire, like a blacksmith, right? And the, like the tip of it is like bright, you know, white hot. And then, you know, it kind of is, you know, blues out a little bit and, you know, red and orange. So maybe like the bottom half mm. looks like that where it's, you know, absorbing all this heat and energy from the sun and then tapers back off, you know, into this, uh, darker, you know, kind of steely gray, kind of a color but uh you know i think that there's some fun ways you can play with it to make it look a little bit visually just a little bit different than the death star um but you know still kind of keeping that same you know superstructure uh space station kind of feel to it so then as far as getting onto the star forge now in the game uh there's some stuff that happens right so you get you get dropped off on on the star forge uh you and your party you fight roughly uh 10,000 uh, battle droid sis soldiers dark jedi um and you get some cutscenes with malak and bastila and the gist of that is malak saying uh hey bastila go deal with uh revan uh so uh that's what happens right so we eventually kind of 
run into Bastila, have a little bit of a fight, and depending on how you play the game, you know, she's either going to come back into uh, onto your side or not. Um, but then, you know, in kind of the more light side, which is how, you know, Cassie and I play the game, uh, you know, she's going to end up using her uh, battle meditation to, uh, you know, help the Republic fleet uh, defeat this thing. And then we go and confront Malak for the, you know, kind of grand finale there. So uh, we talked for a minute there about what we think the Star Forge is going to look like on the outside as we're getting there. Uh, what about on the inside? Does it have still kind of those same, like, Death Star and Star Destroyer vibes, or are there any kind of interesting things you might like to see or ways you think that the Star Forge might look? Because, you know, this thing was built, what, like 30,000 years before the Death Star? So, you know, there'd have to be probably some differences, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, Aleva, what do you think about the inside of this thing? Anything interesting you want to see as we kind of, you know, we fly into the the hangar on this big space station, what it looks like? Or Well... Um, I do have, of course, both a little bit of a biased and privileged information from playing uh, Swator, mm-hmm. but definitely having the old feel of it from the Rakatan technology. So a lot of the interior would be more like stone than it would be actual metal. Mm-hmm. It, it is not stone. It is it is still a form of metal, but the design of it feels older. It feels antique. And... I don't know. I have I have the image in my head of having a cylinder-shaped center that is an open space because it's where all the power comes in from below mm. and fuels the machinery inside. And you get to see it as you're walking inside. You you do get to see that a bit in the game, but I would love to see it in a grander scale. So when you look down or when you look up, it feels like you're looking in an endless direction, both up and down to get the feel of how massive this station is and that you know this this is going to be one tough fight <laughs> to deal with. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I love that. I love the way you uh, described it there, kind of this uh, this endless void of energy kind of running through this thing. Uh, that sounds uh, pretty awesome. Uh, what about you, Cassio? What do you think the uh, inside of this uh, behemoth looks like? I, I mean, I was actually going to kind of say the same thing. Like, I should be less of a Swotor noob probably I should play it but um but um with the Rakadin uh influence I was gonna say like make it look old you know on the inside Mm -hmm. make it look different like we have a bajillion Death Stars and Death Star adjacent like Star Destroyer things in Star Wars like make it look different like because the Star Forge isn't something that destroy it's not a super laser it's like uh Mm-hmm. A factory that like can yeah right like, just create stuff like endlessly you know and um i was like make it just like feel different maybe like in a movie they could like have different colors on the outside but on the inside like yeah make it feel make it feel old and ancient like you kind of quite don't understand it it's like mm-hmm. kind of more connected to nature and another age and um, I like that you kind of mention it kind of looks like stone on the interior because, um, I mean, there was a great Jake Bartok fan art of Knights of the Old Republic where, uh, it was kind of like medieval and it kind of made me realize like, this is kind of a medieval story and like mm-hmm. the Star Forge is kind of like a grand castle, like a hidden grand castle, you know, like. 
and Malik kind of hides in it, you know, like to protect mm. himself. And I was like, oh, make it make it feel like a siege on a castle, you know, and so like make it feel ancient and and stone like from another age. Yeah, I think um, yeah, kind of along the same lines. So I think the inside of it's going to look you know similar in a lot of ways to the inside of the temple on uh, Ricotta look, but. Um, you know, I envision like these big, you know, kind of not stone, but these big, like huge computer consoles and kind of the same sort of consoles that we've seen throughout the film, like at the different uh, star maps uh, going on. So stuff that kind of looks like that. No, I think that the inside of it's going to be, you know, pretty clean. Um, but I think that there's going to be something just kind of off about it, um, a little bit scorched, a little bit warped. Uh, looking, you know, not like full-on warped, not like Alice in Wonderland or Char- Charlie and the Chocolate Factory warped, but but just some things that are just off a little bit because, um, you know, this thing's been sucking up sun energy and, you know, dark side energy for like 30,000 years. So I think just some little things that kind of play uh, visually. So maybe if there's like a, you know, like a walkway that has red lights on it, maybe, you know, just one or two of those is just like a different shade of red. So something you can't quite put your finger on the first time you're watching it, but it just, it something just looks a little bit off about it. Um, I think that that would be uh, kind of a pretty cool way to show that this thing is uh, is bad news and ancient and, uh, you know, not necessarily poorly maintained because I guess it's repairing itself, which is what this technology uh, did, which is how it could, uh, survive for so long but you know just something is is kind of throwing off the uh the light side dark side balance in this place yeah for sure yeah uh well that's kind of how we see you know the outside of the star forge the inside of the star forge um and you know the star forge itself is going to be a pretty main character uh in this third film uh you know playing a big role in what's going on so why don't we take a short break and we'll talk about the uh other characters and how their story is going to unfold on this thing All right, so Star Forge. We have a Star War going on at, at the Star Forge. Um, yeah. And we have many, many characters. And, like, I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, this would be really hard to do in a movie. And, like, mm-hmm. honestly, like, I'm still learning about uh, cinema, still learning about movies, still learning about storytelling. So, like, a lot of other people can probably. Uh, talk about this a whole lot you know more knowledgeably and like kind of create an experience for everyone to connect to better um but yeah we have a lot of characters um who do you do you think like everyone would be at this final battle um and how do you think they would get there like what about you Leva like who do you think would be there well there will definitely be the large scale of characters in the Republic fleet that arrives, which we of course know as Dardana. We have uh, Master Vandar on board who survived the onslaught on Dantooine and he brought Jedi Knights from unknown places that could be Coruscant, could be a lot of other places they come from. But we know there's going to be a lot of 
kind of faceless characters in this fleet because mm-hmm. we know a lot of them are gonna die <laughs> that is war for you so it will be focused mostly on Dordana and Vandar when we see the fleet itself, that they are the main characters, those who have to make the choices, those who have to make the sacrifices on other people's behalf. And they will definitely be a big part of it. When it comes to maybe the crew of the Ebon Hog, I would say, yes, I think everyone would be involved. They wouldn't just sit on board of the ship and let two to three people deal with it they will all be implemented in a movie adaptation in my opinion yeah like mm-hmm. I, I i don't see none of the ebon hawk crew speaking of the the kotor team not us like even though like <laughs> none of them are cowards but like brian's not a coward maybe i am <laughs> <you know? laughs> so no, I would I would stow away on the uh, Ebonhawk until this thing was over for sure. But uh, but the rest of the team would not. They would be you know in this battle for sure. So um, I guess how we get there is uh, you know we leave from Lehan and get up there. I think there's a bit of a space battle, um, and I I think the way that I'd kind of structured this is I'd have um, Mission and Zalbar and Candorus, uh kind of off. I left them on Yavin Four getting snacks while we went to. Uh, to go scout the scout the thing out, so I think that they kind of meet us up in up in this uh, war in the stars we have going on um, on our way. I think that that's a good look at seeing the Ebon Hawk in action and kind of everyone on board it as we're trying to get into the Star Forge. Uh, but yeah, I think once we once we land uh, those two ships land, uh, everyone is there. Um, now I really wanted to find a way to get the Ebon Hawk not to go back out into the space battle, but I couldn't really come up with a very good way to do that. So Karth's going to uh, grab the keys for the Ebon Hawk and uh, head out to help the Republic in the space battle, while you know the rest of the uh, crew is left on board the Star Forge to wage this kind of ground battle that's going on inside of this thing. Yeah, I mean it is a Star War, so you have to like have some people in the stars and some people you know, having yeah. wars inside of the things inside in the stars, you know, like the space ships and everything. Uh, it's yeah. funny because I actually completely disagree on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For me, the Ebon Hawk is not a fighter. It's a smuggler ship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of why, well, I, the big reason why I wanted to see if I could leave it not in the space battle was because it kind of looks like the millennium falcon and the millennium falcon showed mm-hmm. up at every space battle and all of the all the star that wars just true. just so it would be a little bit different but i i i think if you're making a a film and there's a space battle going on you have to get your pilot in the main ship of the of the uh, thing out there that just for a moment i just had an epiphany on that because it's not long ago i did a little fact thing about ebon hog they are very modifier friendly, which means since you left Mission Bodar, no, sorry, that's from Swartar, <laughs> Salbar, yeah. Mission Salbar and Kendra somewhere else, mm-hmm. they could easily modify the Ebon Hawk to oh. be space fight friendly. That would be kind of cool, actually, and make sense for this fight. Yeah, definitely. And that's definitely something that uh, Candorus would be wanting to do for sure, I think. So uh, what about what about you, Cassie? Are all, all of the uh, characters going to end up on board here? Or? Um, 
that's the hard thing is I think that it's kind of hard to decide like what would have more emotional resonance like for like who to be inside or outside you know and mm -hmm. I was like oh maybe like if the Starforge is a castle you know like people can like go in and out you know like and maybe like at certain points the drawbridge gets pulled up or something or there's a moat you know and because I think like Revan like would want to protect Zalbar and Mission you know they wouldn't want them like too involved and like they would maybe be like okay maybe at the outskirts of the battle you can stay there but like it probably they probably wouldn't stay you know mm -hmm. um I guess like on board like I could see like Karth kind of switching from inside to outside and like maybe he could be flying around with his son and um and maybe Mission and Zalbar could be in the Hawk or like another spaceship you know mm -hmm. maybe yeah and one thing I, I did want to see uh from Karth is like kind of like he's learning to trust people like maybe from the outside of the ship he could have like like he has the ability to like fire on mm -hmm. um on Bastla when he thinks she's on the dark side maybe she still is but then he realizes like I need to learn to trust people I think that she can change you know and like maybe Revan can reach out to her like she's not too far gone and like that kind of would kind of fulfill like his his arc of learning to to trust again so that's like my my one my one scene I would like to see is like he has the ability to kind of just end it but then he's like I could end it but like would that morally be the right thing to do and then he decides not to yeah you could almost have a little moment with him and Revan like maybe when they first land like Karth's gearing up to you know go into battle and Revan mm -hmm. tells them that you know the Republic needs his help you know out there on the on the ship you know fighting the the space war and to you know trust him that he'll bring her back uh something like that to kind of play into that character arc for him yeah and yeah just kind of like looking at the crew if uh someone just had like a, a list of the ebon hot crew in front of me i would say hk <laughs> um he goes into the star forge Candorous could switch off uh, space and uh, into the Starforge. Like, I think he could be a person at the gate to mm -hmm. to kind of get the drawbridge open, you know? And then Jolie and Juhani definitely would be on the Starforge. Bastila is obviously there. Car switches in between. Mission and Zalbar, probably more space with T3, you know? And then Revan, uh, obviously he's, you know, like the one kind of like leading the charge i would say so that's what i would say yeah well that's the uh the characters of the Ebonhawk. what about the uh what about the uh the bad duo malik and bastila what are they doing on board as we uh land on this thing when it comes to malik he is without a dog without a doubt um the dog lord of the sith so he is thinking about his own protection 
and what he needs to do to prepare himself for this. But I like the idea that he does not know Revan is a threat yet. Um, that he is not fully prepared for this confrontation. So that he is initially kind of lax and like, eh, just send some droids, deal with it. Like, it's no big deal. We have endless forces here. We're fine. Until he then hears the whispers of who is actually coming for him. And as you have talked about a little bit earlier, where he's he's telling Basila, oh, you take care of this, you confront him. Because either she will prove to be his apprentice, or he disposes of her and then it has bought him time. Yeah. The true Sith way. So for him, it's it's all about preparing himself for this confrontation. Definitely. I mean, that that's how I kind of see it. Because I was kind of just thinking, like... I mean, it is a video game concept to have, like, a boss. Like, a mm-hmm. mid-range boss and then the yeah. final boss. But I was like, Star Wars is about people. I believe that's a Matthew Stover quote, you know? Um, and I've just been hearing it in a lot of uh, some of the podcasts I listen to. And I'm like, oh, it's about people. And I was like, what does it mean that Malik and Bastila are in are in different sections of the Starforge and what is Malik trying to kind of make happen or ensure happen? Like, is it security? And I was like, you kind of like nailed it. I think like, he's like, either Bastila is going to work out or she's not like she'll live or die. I don't really care. She's just the replacement goldfish, (laughs) you know, for my various (laughs) Sith apprentices, you know? And because Sith are, like, really afraid to die. And I think Malak, he kind of, like, he defines himself, you know, like, according to Revan, you know. He's trying to subvert yeah. him or he's in his shadow. And uh, I think he's just trying to, like, not have to face Revan and like maybe Basila takes care of him maybe the other Sith on the Starforge do he's just trying to protect himself as, as for as long as possible I think yeah I think he wants to prove his fears wrong this of either being in Revan's shadow or not being as good as Revan not being as strong as him he wants to prove it wrong and by doing that it's easier to weaken him first yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Basila would kind of sell herself on being able to go uh stop him just to you know kind of get one up on Malak because she's not going to confront Revan to you know defeat him and end him. She's going to confront him to uh have him join her so they can overthrow uh Malak and you know take over this giant super weapon. So yeah. um I I think there's a there's a little bit of uh of yeah, definitely Malik, you know, trying to maintain his power and, you know, keep from being defeated. But there's a little bit of uh, Bastila doing a little bit of, uh, you know, negotiating for her uh, own goals there, too. Yeah, because at this point, I don't really think Bastila is loyal to the Sith. I think she's just more angry at the Jedi and, like, feels like she can't go back because she kind of... Uh, fell to the dark side or kind of messed around with the dark side, wasn't in a good place. So I think Mm -hmm. it's more just like 
she's just mad at the Jedi and like maybe at this point she thinks she can kill Revan. Maybe she does try to do that, you know. Maybe that would be awkward in a movie, you know, and it's like sort of a romance and like one of them is down to kill the other, you know, but um yeah. Yeah, but um <laughs> yeah, with with Basla like cuz I think like I don't where do you guys think like Basilis headspace would be kind of dueling Revan? <laughs> so I actually not that long ago watched um, The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, which I admittedly is not my favorite movies. Um, I watched them for research purposes. But funny enough, I see a lot of similarities to the connection between Kylo Ren and Rey and what we see between Basilis and Revan. There is this strong connection and that you are she's feeling so hopeless that it's easier to just give in because it's way tougher to realize that you failed. Yeah. That mm-hmm. she's not as strong as all of the masters always made it out to be. That she is also, you know, she's a human and she's weak and it's not easy to acknowledge. So I think that's where her headspace is, is, is having to face it. And by going up against Revan, either she will prove herself stronger or he will do what he must do. Either way, it's not her choice. And that might be easier for her. Yeah, mm-hmm. th- excellent points. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think her kind of headspace in this, you know, kind of tail section of the film, it's she's just going to be kind of, you know, disenfranchised by the Jedi, but at the same time, she's not really fully on board with the Sith, so she's just kind of uh, adrift, I guess, in the Force right now. Um, you know, super powerful, but doesn't really have a strong allegiance one way or the other, so that's kind of her you know, motivation for, you know, connecting with Revan and trying to, you know, get him to, you know, come to her, come with her um, in this situation. Yeah, because I think, like, that's kind of why, like, she does kind of, like, flirt with the dark side and be like, I'll be the best dark side person, you know, and, like, in an adaptation, I I would kind of want to see, like, Bastila do some, like, questionable stuff. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like up in the air, you know? Um, but, I mean, you kind of see it in the game. Like, when she's defeated, she's like, please just end me, you know? Like, you kind of yeah. see yeah. some regret there. So it's like, I think it's more she's just like, uh, kind of been used, you know, by the council and is hurt. And like, she, she kind of put herself on a very thin pedestal i would say and it's like if you screw up like that's all she could really see you know so but yeah yeah i think jolie and her it would be interesting to see them have conversations like say in like an act two or something and like kind of just see like oh bastila is very you know not healthy you know like yeah mentally you know and like the Jedi dogma like really kind of played into that I think and it's like kind of like well obviously she's gonna fall to the dark side and then it it does happen but she doesn't have to stay there so 
Yeah, so this, we're kind of approaching the part of this podcast episode that I'm kind of like, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I I did have plans to, to rewatch uh, Return of the Jedi, but like life was like, we're going to ensure that that does not happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, what I love about Return of the Jedi, you know, like, from the times I watched it years ago, you know, I, I watched it a couple times in my life, um, is like you have the human drama with with Luke and Vader. It's a personal story. And then you have the, the space battle, uh, kind of like the, the political story, like on the outside, kind of the grand, the grand finale. So you have like personal sides to things and then kind of like the grand space opera of it all um Mm -hmm. so like with kotor like would you kind of want to embrace the return of the jedi parallels or would you kind of be like uh let's kind of like chart our own course or kind of like a a middle way (laughs) i i'm all for an original story um i think that is the best in story writing ever is if you can create uh, an original story. However, uh, Return of the Jedi is one of my favorite movies and I think you should totally embrace the parallels. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it is Star Wars and like it's... KOTOR was kind of made to be like an homage to the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. You have a hero rise and then a twist and then uh, a battle on uh, a space station you know so yeah so like i kind of don't envy any writer that has to like like if there were to like be an adaptation you know like have to kind of adapt this and like how do we make this you know not returning the jedi and rise of skywalker (laughs) Mm -hmm. so so yeah I think it's going to be hard to avoid, um, you know, some of the parallels because because the story is pretty similar. But I think if you, you know, really let the characters, you know, I I feel like um, we've done a pretty good job of, you know, kind of developing these character stories over these films. So if you let them really, you know, kind of be who they are and where they're at at this point in the journey, I think it's going to feel a little bit different. And even, you know, a lot of people will say and if you just play the game i guess you kind of kind of get that is the you know malik's just kind of this uh darth vader uh you know 2.0 for this uh story and things but i think you know the way that his character actually is like i don't really think that he's that much like darth vader and he's not really that much like the you know emperor palpatine i think he's you know kind of a different character so i think if you mm. if you just really lean on you know these individual characters that we have you know, aboard the Starforge and the way that this battle is unfolding, I think that it's going to feel new and unique enough, even though, you know, kind of the the setting and the situation is, you know, very similar to the Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I guess, like, would you guys see, like, the Team Ebonhawk, like, Revan and his, his crew... Do you see them, like, kind of getting to the Starforge before everyone else? Or, like, do you see them getting into the Starforge after a little bit of a space battle? Or are they kind of there before the space battle, in your mind? I think they're using the space battle to approach 
it's a form of distraction. Yeah. And by being such a small ship, and especially with the modifications the Eppenhawk already have, it's easy to slip through. Um, yeah. So I, I would say they would use it to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I kind of, I kind of wrote down in my notes like Sith and Republic space battle have a Star War to get the Ebon Hawk crew inside, you know. So I, I think it does make sense, you know, uh, to kind of give it weight. Yeah, I think because by the time we get off of Lehan, then you know all of the the Republic forces and you know the Sith fleet and you know stuff getting cranked out of the Star Forge is you know pretty much rocking and rolling by the time we get there. So, uh, so yeah, I think that being a little bit stealthy about it as much as you can be in the Ebon Hawk, I think that that's a, a pretty interesting and pretty fun way to get them on board. I like that. Yeah. And what I kind of realized, like, I don't really think Rise of Skywalker addressed this, you know, but um, in 9, they had an endless fleet that kind of just came from somewhere and was, like, you know, like, staffed by people who, I guess, were just there, you know, and I didn't really look into that, but, like, with KOTOR, you have an endless fleet, but finite troopers, because I don't think they're piloted by droids, you know, so, like, Mm-hmm. And they do, the Sith do have battle meditation for the first half of the battle, so I'm like, it does seem to work in their favor, but, like, the Republic could maybe just see, like, maybe, like, the Sith fighters are coming out of, like, two places, you know, and, like, can kind of bottleneck them and just kind of figure out ways to, like, kind of just, like, be like, okay, keep shooting there, they're just coming out of there, you know? So I think mm-hmm. there are ways to make this more interesting and like kind of like have some strategy to it and like kind of have it make sense you know so that's that's what i think at least it's it's funny because i've also written down in my notes something about right of skywalker i think they have taken a lot of inspiration from this fight specifically of having that unlikely massive army that is being controlled by one man with his battle meditation. Yeah. Because if some people didn't know, that that is what Palpatine also was able to do. That's why in Return of the, the Jedi that everyone just gave up fighting because he didn't control it anymore. And the same here as well. When he was destroyed, everything just let up. Yeah. And I think they have take, taken massive inspiration from KOTOR without ever acknowledging it. Yeah, I mean, definitely I, I did see it there with uh, Kylo Ren's design. Like, when I was just saw a picture of Kylo Ren for the first time, I'm like, that's Revan, isn't it? And then it's like <laughs> the Knights of Ren, I'm like, hmm, suspicious. <laughs> but, and then like with like Kylo Ray or Kylo Ren and Ray, you know, like having a force bond and being a force dyad i'm like yeah hmm you know uh it is kind of uh, there are par- parallels and then like with with the rise of skywalker battle i'm like oh an endless fleet you say you know so <laughs> i think i definitely think like lucasfilm is kind of tapping into the knights of the old republic you know kind of story but they haven't really fully gone there but i do think they are going to go there you know 
hypothetically in the future, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, but how do you guys, how do you guys kind of see like Revan, uh, in the Starforge? Like, do you kind of see it like he fights some Sith legions and then Bastila and then Malak? How do, how do you guys kind of see that? For me, it's, I have always seen it a little bit like a personal journey for him. It's, it's where it all began and it's his job to end it. He might have the support of his fellows from the Ebon Hog, but when it really comes down to it, it's his fight. It's it's him against the Legion. It's him against Bastila. Who, you know, he brought her into this and it is definitely against him against his former apprentice. And you, I think this of having the amb- ambiguous nature of is he dark or light here is an important factor to have in on it but the one characteristic I've always thought was the strongest about him is that again because I take inspiration from how certain people talked about him like Kreia is that he is the person who is willing to do what must be done even playing the bad guy if that is needed yeah Mm -hmm. definitely yeah I kind of see him you know, making this journey kind of on his own, um, but kind of with every everyone else as they're, you know, going through the, you know, the various Sith legions and the, the battle droids and that kind of thing. I, Revan's not really going to struggle with any of these encounters, um, even though, um, you know, kind of the rest of the group might be, you know, might get pinned down or uh, whatever the case may be. But he's just so focused on getting up to Bastila and Malak. Like he doesn't doesn't really like stop to offer them aid, you know, not not in like a cold way, but he's you know he's just barreling forward. So you know, as the rest of the party kind of drops off, eventually he's left by himself, uh, getting up to you know the confrontation with Bastila, and then ultimately with uh, Malik. Yeah, and I do like what you say, uh, Leva, that this is Revan's personal journey. Uh, he has to end what he began. It's kind of like this is a pilgrimage. Like, he's kind of yeah. atoning, you know, like, he kind of started Malik on this path. Uh, he kind of was a contributing factor, I would say, to Bastila's fall. And then, like, these Sith forces are really only Sith forces because he kind of, you know, started it, you know? So I think, like... He would maybe, I don't think he would just mindlessly be killing, like, a a Sith Legion here. Maybe he would be trying to, like, say, like, there's a better way, but he'll defend himself if necessary. But, like, I don't think he would take any pleasure in it. Uh, And then I think, like, tonally, I think it would be hard in a movie to kind of have Bastila and Malik separated. But I think, like... Unless they're separated, it becomes Return of the Jedi again. And mm-hmm. that's just, that's the hard part. I was like, oh, this is really difficult, you know? Because it's like, who does he face first? Um, but then I was like, you kind of have the human moment, like, with Basla, And, like, it's kind of like uh, what Brian and I talked about in our Ring Theory episode. It's like, 
this is the relationship that kind of like they have both saved each other when they each fall to the dark side at different times but then uh like i think their bond you know like kind of saves the day there it's not jedi dogma you know and then like it's kind of like in my view like basila kind of has the spiritual side of the victory like kind of connecting with the force like uh battle meditation probably in the purest sense because i think she would kind of uh see the light side and the dark side and kind of like decide like who she's going to be you know and like kind of move forward and kind of become the person she's meant to be and kind of not unlock the avatar state but like you know the battle meditation ultimate you know party mix or something and um and then i think revan would kind of have the the physical victory of like facing malik and it's like i think like he does offer an olive branch to malik but malik mm -hmm. at this point like he's just not taking it like i do think like at the end like malik does have like self-awareness you know but i think he just realizes like he's not able to kind of fully redeem himself in the end but i think he faces the end well but then he kind of tells like revan like is it savior conqueror hero villain or is it hero villain savior conqueror but uh he says like you're forever going to stand alone in the end you are nothing and i i just think that's like the greatest quote from malik you know like mm -hmm. i guess how do you guys uh see uh revan versus bastila revan versus malik i will keep them separate to begin with and yeah, I I will keep it canonically as it is from the game that he will go to her first to break the destruction she is um, participating in uh, with her battle meditation. Um, he will leave her to it, let her break it up and turn the tide. But I do also see her as joining it, joining the fight against Malak that it's like their bond is what will make them stronger and what is needed basically to defeat Malak. Not as in showing that Revan is weak and he needs to have two against one, but because it's a fight against... A, 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 sorry, it's a fight between ideals. This of... Malik saying at the end and in and in the end as the darkness takes me I am nothing yeah because that is what he is he stand on his own he is nothing he's thinking only of himself therefore he becomes nothing I guess do you see it like Bastil is physically there or helping with battle meditation physically oh yeah I guess like it's kind of like Rise of Skywalker where it's like the whole trilogy is kind of like leading up to like uh, ben and Ray like teaming up, but then they kind of just chuck Ben, you know, down a chasm, and then it yeah, kinda... which I thought was stupid. <laughs> and I was like, uh, 
maybe like if you're gonna like hype up a forced dyad, like have them fight together and like make it critical that they're you know a dyad, you know. So I'm like, I could see that does kind of make sense if they're a forced bond, you know, to like have them fight together, like. So like I I do like that idea, like whether like she's physically there or like kind of like helping with battle meditation, like kind of like hype that up the, the connection. Cause Revan isn't alone. I don't think like he has, a, he has a, a force force bond dyad, whatever we're calling it now. Uh, mm-hmm. Both terms are acceptable, I suppose. Um, no, I, I see it kind of playing out similar to, to the game where he's going to have the confrontation with Bastila first and then go um, to see Malik. But I think, I think maybe after um, he confronts Bastila um, and are reunited, uh, she stays to do the battle meditation um, and he goes off to confront Malik. And maybe you play on the, you know, the battle meditation and, you know, how they're communicating. Um, in the Lehan episode, I talked a little bit about how they're having kind of this, you know, kind of internal dialogue as they're having their fight on top of the temple on Lehan. So maybe... Uh, it's similar to how that played out, except now she's, um, uh, you know, giving giving uh, encouragement and help and wisdom uh, as you know he's fighting Malik, maybe telling him you know to, you know he's still worth redeeming or, you know it, you know taking taking your anger out on Malik's not going to, you know, fix the damage that has been done, you know stuff like stuff like that just to. Um, yeah. To kind of to kind of stay in his head as he's um, confronting Malik. Because I I do see like I think when Revan makes a choice to like not go with Bastila on Lehan that he's like kind of like firmly he, well not maybe firmly but like he's rooted to the light side you know but it's not like a what the council would define as the light side more like probably like mm-hmm. what Jolie kind of would say you know like so i think like yeah it's kind of like he's he's rejected her offer kind of on lehan right yeah and it's like when he goes on to the the starforge i kind of see him being like uh, the most full version of himself the most powerful like he has he has all of his memories he knows who he is like he knows the light and the dark but like he's gonna like forge like a a positive path forward so like i think like like on the leviathan like he was kind of caught off guard with like the truth about himself and then like on lehan it's like kind of like surprise bastila's dark side (laughs) you know like (laughs) this is the version of revan like he he becomes more powerful like through the trilogy like it's it'll be gradual, you know, but yeah, like uh, when when Revan uh, defeats Malik, um, how do you guys see the Starforge being destroyed? Like, and how does the crew get off? Like, what do you think that would look like? I know that in the game, um, the the idea is that the Republic fleet has managed to get so close that they can destroy the stabilizers on top of the station that then you know send, descends it. Uh, however, 
I prefer the idea that since their master Malik has now been defeated, there is a chaos in the force. There's um, an unstableness that that erupts for the station because it is funny enough fueled by the dark side and by having the chaos happening inside would cause a chain reaction instead that would make it unstable hmm. but maybe that is far-fetching <laughs> <laughs> no i like that for sure um yeah, things going unstable uh i see it a little bit more mechanically how it's going to happen so um and i'll talk about it here as we uh, kind of go through our our final pitches but i think that everyone um that's on board and kind of fighting their ultimate goal is to get into kind of this uh manufacturing area where these uh these you know ships and fighters and stuff are being created by the starforge and they're somehow able to you know, get that offline or corrupt it somehow and so the way that this happens then is it's still sucking up energy from the sun but it's not producing anything so there's nowhere for it to go so it's just absorbing more and more energy until uh it kind of you know just self-destructs on itself just from this massive amount of energy with uh doesn't have anywhere to put it yeah and i guess what i kind of could see happening is once malik is uh defeated like maybe a lot of the sith forces would maybe just surrender and like kind of turn away maybe i mean in the kotor era i feel like i describe every character like it's like they can also be on the light side and the dark side, like, mm -hmm. uh, because honestly, I think everyone has, like, everyone in the KOTOR era, like, something is going wrong, you know, with the, the KOTOR Jedi, because they all, like, fall to the dark side, you know, at least once. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yep. check that box, they turn to the dark side, but, like, maybe, like, some of the Sith forces could, like see the, the maybe see the error of their ways like and like maybe like Revan and Bastila's story it's kind of like about redemption you know and maybe not redemption necessarily equaling death you know so it's like maybe you could see like if Revan and Bastila can like flip-flop light side dark side and then come back to the light side like not everyone has to die you know and like maybe they can like become better you know Mm -hmm. Which is which is something like I really try to be positive about the the sequel trilogy, but I think it may be a missed opportunity. Is like Finn was going to maybe lead a stormtrooper rebellion, you know, and maybe we could see like a little Sith trooper rebellion, like because a lot of these people used to be Jedi, you know, so like maybe just mm -hmm. see them like turn a page you know and like surrender and like uh some people are just trying to like get out if they don't like surrender or, or rejoin the the light side you know um mm -hmm. but what i kind of see is like maybe someone on the inside shifts like some gravity setting you know like so the star forge sinks into the sun so rather than having another explosion it's kind of like it sinks into the into the sun and like maybe you could see like Malik as he kind of dies like is just kind of like everything goes bright you know and like he's just kind of consumed by the light and I'm like ooh that could be poetic you know um, mm -hmm. 
like in the face of the light you know the sun like he's nothing you know and then on the outside maybe they could hit the gravity filter too so like i'm just trying to like avoid another explosion you know Mm -hmm. and Mm. maybe just have it sink into the sun so that's that's what i see and then like just the ebon hawk crew gets out in the nick of time you know and they and they fly away and just kind of see like the ruins uh dying but maybe that would make i don't know if swotor is necessarily canon right now but like no yeah maybe that would prohibit you know like other stories with the star forge in the future but i don't know well it it yeah, it would. Okay. <laughs> then we don't have to do uh, in, that. In one of the in one of the Darth Bane books, uh, it is specifically described as uh, he's going to Rakata Prime or Lihon, mm-hmm. and that there is remnants of the Star Force that's now created a ring around the planet. Huh. So it would it would if you want to keep the continuity at least, there, there has to be something that survives. <laughs> okay, maybe. It doesn't sink into the sun, but, like, maybe the sun kind of, like, burns away some of the the evil in the Star Forge and, like, the shell remains, you know, for, for people to discover mm. in, the, in the future, so. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, talking about characters, like... Through the Starforge section of this story, like, who do you think changes the most, would you say? That's a good question. In in theory, the easy answer would be Bastila. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because she goes from being one to the other to maybe a third. Um, So possibly her. Although Revan goes through the same kind of transformation as well of of having the knowledge of who he was to all of a sudden having to deal with the past that he can't remember and what is he going to do with that betrayal. Um, so as a whole, they're probably the ones that, that changes the most. Yeah. Yeah, def- definitely those two, right? Basil has to get redeemed and uh, Revan has to be the one. Uh, that redeems her. Um, I guess you could say that Karth's kind of, you know, the culmination of his story where he's, um, you know, putting his trust in Revan to uh, yeah. rescue uh, Bastila, you know, this uh, woman that he's been kind of, you know, been trying to protect throughout this this whole thing. Like he's kind of giving over that responsibility to Revan in this moment. So uh, maybe him too, but, but yeah, probably Bastila and Revan, Revan the most. And then... Um, and then Karth a little bit. Yeah, I think the easy answer is Bastila. Um, and then, like, I would actually maybe tie Revan with Karth. Uh, because, like, this is kind of like the... We kind of see, like, the result of the equation of what Revan is on the Starforge. Um, just kind of, like, throughout the whole series of, of KOTOR. Uh, but, like, for me, like, this is a big, if I could, like, incorporate that moment of, like, Karth learning to trust and, like, not just shoot someone out of the sky when he can, but learning to, to trust, like, 
I would be like, yeah, Karth. And then I think Candorous learning to fight for, like, uh, another cause and, like, people that, like, actually kind of defeated him. And, like, maybe he could, like, convince some Mandalorians to come fight for him. You know, like, I don't think anyone would be like, uh, ah, I don't think we need more Mandalorians, you know? Then it's like, it kind of ends the Mandalorian war, you know? I think if mm -hmm. you kind of have some Mandalorians involved. Uh, and then maybe, like, Juhani could, like, redeem Balea. Um, she could redeem her and, like, kind of give them a moment. Like, I, I kind of see them as the the B romance, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, on the side, you know, and uh, kind of give Juhani something to do, like, uh on top of everything she has going on in Act 3, because uh, we like to incorporate her, you know, throughout throughout the trilogy, give her something to do. Uh, and then Valak, I think, kind of goes through a little bit of a change, but in a way, he kind of stays the same. He's kind of like a... I don't know, I think he gains more self-awareness, and there's more going on mentally yeah. with Malik than than not, in my mind. I, th I think he's, you know, given given the opportunity to change and he just doesn't take it. So I guess that that's kind of the uh, yeah. his arc there at, at the at the very end. Because I think when they're writing KOTOR, they're like, just make him Darth Vader somehow. You know, it's like, oh, metal, metal jaw, you know, job completed. But uh, I think there is more depth to Malik than um, I think maybe was realized in KOTOR. And I think as we kind of go through the podcast and like kind of go through Malik's character, I'm like, Oh, there really is a lot more to him than I think a, a lot of fans and maybe, uh, people realize, you know? So it's like, I think you could bring those out, but like not everyone has to be a cackling evil villain, you know? And like not everyone gets redeemed. So I think it's almost like a stronger choice to like give Malik, uh, some self-awareness, but he doesn't become better at the end. But, so yeah, I think we kind of pitched uh, our Starforge, um, what we would all want to see in the Starforge, but um, I guess, Oliva, like, what would be the most important uh, aspect or aspects to get right? What would you most like to see in a, if the Starforge was brought to the, the silver screen? That's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I might have to add here that uh, personally, um, <laughs> I don't want to see this as a movie. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> because I don't think they could ever, um, they could never, they could never live up to what we already have in our heads. So when that is said. <laughs> The most important thing about the Star Forge for me in an adaptation in a movie is to get the sense of the grand scale. It's, it's that it's supposed to be bigger. It's supposed to be more ominous. It's supposed to be more dangerous than you've ever even imagined from the Death Star. Um, because that is what a lot of newer uh, fans will compare it to. And it has to be even more than that because it's from a more ancient time. And I think that's an important aspect to it. The fact that it is fueled by the dark side itself. 
it would be cool to kind of see like the dark side if it's kind of imbued into a a complex like that like how would that impact the battle yeah that would be interesting to see you know Mm -hmm. so yeah because otherwise it just becomes another big you know big super weapon that you've seen a million times before it has to be something more it has to be scarier yeah Mm -hmm. that would be cool um yeah, so a couple a couple of the things that um, I would want to see here um, on the Star Forge, we talked about how kind of everyone's going to get there and everyone's going to start fighting, but I think that maybe the confrontation with Bastila happens on like uh, kind of like this observation deck, which is at like the tip of the Star Forge, like on the on the very very top of it. Um, and we kind of walk into the room and she, uh, Bastila's standing there uh, with her back to us at a control terminal, and she kind of hits this button, and then all of these. So imagine like Snoke's throne room with all of the red curtains, but instead of that, it's just huge like floor to ceiling windows that just open up and you see like the big battle uh, going on out front. And she says something about, you know, how all of this could have been ours. And then uh, the lightsabers come on. They have this big uh, epic lightsaber duel, but it's in front of these, you know, these huge, you know, 50 foot tall windows uh, with the space battle going on behind them. Um, I think that that would be really cool uh, and look pretty great. Um, the other thing that I think would be um, that I would like to see is the confrontation with Malik. I think he's on kind of like a control deck kind of thing, um, you know, which is more in the like middle, I guess, of the of the Star Forge. But it has kind of an observation window there too. Um, but on like the inside of the room, it overlooks this big, huge, empty like production area, and you just see these, uh, you know, the Sith fleet like being pieced together, like in the middle of this uh, kind of overlook from uh, where he's uh, hanging out. Yeah, great visuals. Like, I'm like, darn it, I want to see this, you know. Um, But, (laughs) and yeah, I can can definitely understand like some fans not wanting an adaptation and also like some fans wanting an adaptation. Like, I mean, if it were to be adapted, you would kind of want it to be done you know like do the game justice you know and Mm -hmm. that's more easily said than than done i think but um i think if we can kind of just keep like this section about the the characters and the story and like kind of see like the changes the characters have made uh throughout the trilogy and keep it about the the human emotions like uh, kind of seeing like the change that Revan um, has gone through, like the personal journey, um, the self knowledge he's gained. You know that that would be incredible, and like just like kind of like seeing uh, the depths. You know that like Bastil has kind of gone through. You know, like because mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like all over and like for maybe some people it would be too abrupt, but like, honestly, I think if you're paying attention throughout the game, you're like, well, she's going to fall to the dark side. She just doesn't know it yet. You yeah. know? Um, and like kind of like give Karth a, a big arc, you know? Um, Cause I think sometimes people forget about him, but I'm like, he's part of the trio, you know, you gotta, you gotta incorporate him. Um, and 
I'm kind of surprised. It sounds like you have a weakness for Karth. <laughs> Usually, I I think like I'm just like be nice to Karth, you know, like he he does good things, you know. I think like if you listen to me earlier in the podcast, I'm like, oh, Karth, mm. so stupid, he's so annoying. Like he just says he doesn't <laughs> want to talk about it, you know. But like, but then I was like. I think, like, Karth kind of has the most relatable arc, you know? Like, mm. kind of getting betrayed by, like, uh, someone, like, who was his mentor, you know? And, like, someone he looked up to. And uh, kind of just having to lose his family. Like, that's... I think it's it's relatable what he goes through. You know, you know like, maybe, like, someone he worked with for years, like, doesn't give him, you know, uh, the promotion or, like, leaves the company to, like, go join the, the other side, you know, the competition, you know, and, like, mm. maybe it's, like, he lost, like, like, if this were a real world, you know, like, losing his, his family, you know, in a car accident, you know, so, like, mm -hmm. so, I don't know, like, I'm just, like, be nice, like, in my mind, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I really have a, I don't know. I just tried to like incorporate Karth more into it. Cause like, I'm like looking at the story. If someone had to tell me like who the trio of the KOTOR story is, I would be like, well, it seems like it's revving Karth and Bastila, you know? So you yeah. kind of don't want to shortchange any of them. So yeah. I, I like the uh, idea that you were saying, Brian, with, with the, uh, open area of where Bastila is and so on. I, I like that idea. But there's one thing that I would love to see if it was adapted. And it's it's actually kind of what you saw in The Mandalorian. And you also see it a bit in The Last Jedi, the cinematography of the showdown. You see the two characters far away from each other, like, like in a Western movie. Mm -hmm. And there doesn't need to be talked a lot like there is in the game their confrontation should be more it's about the details you see the goosebumps on their arms you you see the color of their eyes as their pupils dilate you you see the sweat that's forming on the forehead all of those little details to make it intense without a lot of words i think would be beautiful for that scene yeah less talky probably than than a than a video game so mm -hmm. yeah It'll be interesting to see, like, Unreal Cinema's adaptation of, of this uh, section. Like, how, yeah. how they do it, you know? It'd be really cool to, to see how they do it, so. Yeah. Because, like, at the end of the day, it's about, it's about these characters and uh, how they've changed or how they've stayed the same. So, maybe I should have just watched Return of the Jedi, you know? <laughs> And like, you should always just watch Return of the Jedi. That's true. Yeah, it should yeah. always <laughs> constantly be on <laughs> wherever you watch your your movies. So, speaking of today's sponsor, is Disney Plus. Disney and you Plus. Can, yeah. You can watch it. You know, on your phone, <laughs> on your laptop, uh, in your car, or you know, like on Don't a watch, television well, set. Not if so. you're driving. Don't watch it while you're driving. No, I mean like the people in the back can, you know. Oh, okay. Someday yeah. someday cars are gonna drive themselves, you know. So yeah. And people in five years will be like, What? What are they talking about? Or cars drive themselves, that's fine. 
you can watch a movie, you know, but just kidding. We're not sponsored by, by Disney <laughs> plus. We would love it, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, where, can, where can everyone find, uh, you and, and follow your content? Well, both on YouTube, Twitch, all social media, I'm called Eleva Swatter, so just search Eleva Swatter and you will find it. I do also have my own website called Eleva.com where you can find links to everything you need from me, whether it's guides, my latest video, or whatever social media you are searching for. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Make sure you definitely uh, go take a look at the, you know, the Instagram, uh, take a look at the uh, the YouTube and the website, because it's a lot of good stuff, especially like if uh, you're someone like Cassie and myself who have not gotten into SWOTOR yet. There's just a, a treasure trove of good stuff to get into. So definitely go take a look at it. And thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciated having you on and talking about the Starforge. Thank you so much for having me along. Yeah, thank you for your perspective. And in the future, when we uh, kind of dip our toes into the SWOTOR side of Star Wars, maybe you can you can come on again and, and kind of guide us through. And we'll be like, why didn't we do this 10 years ago? You know, so. I'll gladly be a helping hand if I can. All right. Well, uh, take care, everyone. And may the force be with you. And you can find us on Instagram at Old Republic Podcast. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. And you can connect with us on Twitter at Old Republic Pod. On Patreon, the link is in our Instagram bio, or you can find it at www.patreon.com slash Old Republic Podcast. The Old Republic Podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Schurman at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker at christianwalkermusic.com. This episode of the Old Republic Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the Force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now. <laughs>